Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to worship here at Balhelvi. It's great that you're joining us, uh, wherever you're, wherever you are in the world just now. Uh, you're very welcome, and uh, it's lovely to have you along and joining in our worship today. We're going to begin with a song called "How Can I Keep from Singing." Let's worship God together. Let's join our hearts together in prayer now. Let us pray. Watchful, wakeful Father, we come to you this morning questioning, worried, wearied perhaps, unsure of things. The world is a confusing place just now. But we thank you that we have in you a place to belong somewhere to recover and to rest. Thank you that in these challenging days, we can trust you. You who bore our sins and death and bore them in our likeness. So there's nothing we can feel you haven't felt, nothing we can think you haven't thought. You know us from inside 
And when we can't find the words to say, it is enough simply to sit with you and know that we are already fully known. Lord, we trust in faith that there is life beyond this life. And this gives us hope. But we know too that this life is a gift and we want to savour it as best we can, returning it to you like the servant in the parable of the talents who invested what he'd been given wisely and got a good return. But this is hard just now. We're so limited in what we can do and what we feel safe to do. So help us see more clearly how we can be a blessing to others in this time of lockdown. And help us discern what you might be saying to us and asking us to do in these days of confinement. Spirit of Jesus, what is it that you want for us in this time? More patience? Less irritability? More engagement with those around us? A new sense of hope, maybe? The willingness to prioritise time with you in reading and, and in prayer? Lord, you alone know. But we ask that you impress in our hearts what it is you especially want for us in the days ahead. Please give us one word or one insight to hold on to as we pause now to listen for what you are saying to our hearts. Lord, help us not only to hear, but to do. Because we ask all these things in Christ's name. And in his name we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our reading this morning is taken from Luke 13, reading from verse 1. And I'm reading from the Message Translation of the Bible. Luke 13 verse 1 About that time some people came up and told him about the Galileans Pilate had killed while they were at worship, mixing their blood with the blood of the sacrifices on the altar. Jesus responded, Do you think those murdered Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans? Not at all. Unless you turn to God, you too will die. And those 18 in Jerusalem the other day, the ones crushed and killed when the Tower of Siloam collapsed and fell on them, do you think they were worse citizens than all other Jerusalemites? Not at all. 
unless you turn to God, you too will die. Amen. This morning, we are going to start to take a look at this, the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room at the moment is, where is God in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis? I'm sure like me, over the last few weeks, you will have heard uh, lots of rationales for what's been going on. Uh, and I wanted to speak to that directly uh, over the next couple of weeks, because I guess it's something that many of us have been thinking about, even if we would perhaps rather not. Where is God in the midst of all of this? And the first thing I want to say is that that is not a new question. It's just the latest version of a very old question, which is how can a God who is all good and all powerful allow evil and suffering to exist in the world? Sometimes that question lands on us personally when some kind of tragedy or difficulty affects those closest to us. And sometimes, like now, the whole world is asking the question because of the circumstances that we're finding ourselves in. In the light of what is happening just now, is God good? And is God in control? Let me begin with a story today. It's a true story. On the 1st of November, 1755, the churches in Lisbon were packed full of worshippers because it was All Saints Day and Portugal uh, then as, as now was a devoutly Catholic country. At 9.40 that morning, an earthquake struck in the Atlantic, measuring, they reckon, about eight and a half to nine on the Richter scale. All six major cathedrals in Lisbon and 35 of the 40 other churches there collapsed, crushing literally thousands of folk who had gathered there for worship. Those who survived pulled themselves out of the wreckage and took refuge in the nearest open space, which was around the harbour, only to be hit by a tsunami about 45 minutes later. The earthquake had started fires throughout the city and they burned for the rest of the week, leaving Lisbon nothing less than a smoking ruin. The death toll in that one incident was thought to have been between 60 and 100,000 people. The civilised world, as you can imagine, was in shock and all the leading thinkers of the day felt compelled to speak into what had happened. John Wesley said that this had been God's judgment on Lisbon for her sins. Immanuel Kant wrote that he maintained his faith in God's goodness, but he couldn't understand what had happened. But for Voltaire, the great writer of his day, this was the final nail in the coffin. How was it possible to maintain belief in a good God who controls events in the world when he had pretty much just executed thousands of his followers while they were at worship. 
an old saying of the day, was that God is in his heaven and all's well with the world. The appalling destruction of Lisbon, one of Europe's finest and most religious cities, made folk question that assumption like never before. We're into the problem of evil. So let me spell this out for you a little bit more. Here are three statements. And people of faith would hold them all to be true. Firstly, evil and suffering exist. Now you don't need a PhD in theology or philosophy to know that. Just watch the 10 o'clock news or just pick up a newspaper. Natural disasters happen. People do atrocious things to other people. War, murder, rape, greed, exploitation, they all go on. And it's far from the whole story, but we can't pretend them away. This is a part of how things are in our world. Evil exists. The second statement is that God is all good. Now that, I have to say, is a faith statement. I can't prove that to you. But as a Christian, I would say Christ reveals God's character to me, his moral character. And knowing what I know of Christ through the Gospels, I can trust that God is good through and through. And John the Evangelist backs up that point of view when he says, God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. So in faith I take that to be true. God is good from beginning to end. And then lastly, God is all powerful. That's the third statement. God is the first cause. The one who creates and sustains and redeems. We call him in the Old Testament the Almighty, the Lord of hosts, the beginning and the end, the one through whom and for whom all things were made. Again, we take this by faith. But here's the thing. All three of those statements, which we agree are individually true, can't be true at the same time. All of them can't be true at the same time. If God is all good and all-powerful, then why is there evil in the world? Why doesn't he just stop it? If God is all good and evil exists, then is God powerless to stop the evil? And if God is all-powerful and evil still exists, then is God as good as we think he is? Is he allowing or maybe even conniving with evil? Philosophically, that is the problem of evil, which has confounded theologians for millennia. All three statements are true, but they can't be true when taken together. Something has to give. And to my mind, the one that has to give is the last one. That's the one we need to rethink. 
We can't deny the reality of evil and suffering in the world. It's obvious. And I, for one, am not prepared to compromise on the goodness of God. So for me, the real question is about God's power, or more specifically, how God exercises power in the created universe. What do we mean when we say that God is all-powerful and in control? Do we mean that God is pulling all the strings all the time? I think that's a dangerous road to go down. There are certainly some texts in the Bible which would give that impression. And building on those, some have constructed whole theological systems based on that assumption. John Calvin, one of the reformers, would have been one of them. Calvin held that thieves, murderers and other evildoers are instruments of divine providence being employed by the Lord himself to execute the judgments which he has resolved to inflict. Instruments of divine providence. The murderers, the thieves, the evildoers. Following that logic, John Piper, one of the more prolific and ardent Calvinist writing today, uh, said this in response to the events of 9-11. Piper said in interview, I'm coming to those families and I'm saying when they ask me, do you think God ordained the death of my daddy? I say, yes, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God could have very easily blown those planes off course by a little puff of wind and he didn't do it. Therefore, God was right there, ordaining that this happen because he could have stopped it just like that. If it happens and God didn't stop it, then he must have willed it, according to Calvin and Piper and their ilk. But do you see where that logic leads us? If God pulls all the strings all the time, then God's responsible for 9-11, for Auschwitz, for ISIS beheadings and child abuse. He allowed them. They must be part of his great plan. Is that really where we want to go? If we hold to that view of God's sovereignty, it makes him complicit in evil, the worst kind of evil, and it turns him into nothing short of a monster. Mouthing love at the very same time he's inflicting needless suffering and pain on people who he's supposed to care for. Folks, I gave up on that view of God a long time ago. And it was Jesus who convinced me to. Just think about it for a moment, away from your systems. Just use your head. Can you imagine Jesus giving Auschwitz the go-ahead? Or smiling as crusader soldiers impale babies on spears? Or nodding with approval as Thomas Hamilton takes a walk around Dunblane Primary with a shotgun in hand. What are you doing there, Thomas? Oh, I'm just being an instrument of divine providence. I'm just doing God's work for him. 
Really? If you want to insist that God pulls all the strings all the time, then he pulled those strings too. You do not get to choose. And I don't buy it. If everything that's played out on earth is God's will, then why does Jesus teach us to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Doesn't that make it abundantly clear that God's will isn't always being done on earth? Doesn't basic common sense tell us that too? And if every evil that happens to us is sent into our lives by God for his own good purpose, why does Jesus teach us to pray that we might be delivered from evil? It's one thing to hold that God can bring good out of the bad things that happen to us. It's a whole other thing to say that God intentionally sends the trouble in the first place. I have a lot more to say about this and I'll pick it up again next week but we're long overdue looking at this morning's gospel story. We'll take a first look at it this week and we'll get more into it next week. But in Jesus' time, folk generally thought that God sat up on high watching the world, dishing out blessings to those who behaved and punishment to those who did wrong. A wee bit like Zeus. And you might remember the comment the the disciples made when they met a blind man one day. They said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And they're just expressing what everybody believed in those days, that disability was a, a punishment from God for somebody's sin. That's what they thought. Or think about the book of Job that William was referring to a couple of weeks ago. The whole point of that book is to challenge the notion that the righteous will only know blessing in their lives. Job is a good man who does nothing wrong and yet he loses everything he has. And what do his friends say? Well, you must have done something wrong, otherwise God wouldn't be punishing you. And they were wrong. They're shown to be wrong at the end of the book. But that's how they thought in the ancient world. It all comes directly from God. Everybody gets what they deserve. But in his teaching, Jesus starts to subvert that way of thinking. When he's teaching us to love our enemies, he says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He's introducing the idea of grace, which we'll get into next week. But he's also saying that the natural processes of the world act indiscriminately on everyone. God isn't sitting in heaven somewhere sending sunshine and rain on the good people and withholding it from the bad. That's not how it works. And he's saying exactly the same kind of thing in this morning's reading. 
People come to him with a couple of shocking local stories. One's about some Galileans who'd gone up to worship in the big temple in Jerusalem and ended up being killed by Pilate's soldiers. And their blood mingled with the blood of the sacrifices that they had just been offering. And the second story is about 18 folk who died when a tower in Siloam fell on them. And there's a whole backstory to both of those incidents. But for now, all I want you to notice is this. People were reading God's judgment into those stories. That was their worldview. God causes everything. These folk died awful deaths. Therefore, God must have been angry at them in some way. That's how they thought. But in essence, Jesus says, no, it doesn't work that way. Those folk were no better and no worse than anyone else. We live in a world where people get murdered. And buildings fall down. That's how it is. So stop trying to second guess things about their lives. And start giving some thought to how you're living your own. That's his message to them. All of which, drawing things to a close, is to say this. Things happen. Good things Sun shines, rain falls, plants grow and bad things happen too. People hurt others, towers collapse, earthquakes kill and viruses go on the rampage. Do we have to assume that they all come directly from God's hand? I don't think so. And I'm going to tell you more about why that is next week. Amen. Let us pray. God of heaven and earth, in these times of isolation, apart from loved ones, distant from friends, away from neighbours, thank you that there is nothing in all of creation, not even coronavirus, that is able to separate us from your love. May your love that never fails continue to be shared through the kindness of strangers looking out for each other, for neighbours near and far, all recognising our shared vulnerability, each of us grateful for every breath and willing everyone to know the gift of a full and healthy life. Keep us all in your care. Restoring and healing God. Thank you for medical workers everywhere embodying sacrificial love in these challenging times. Putting the welfare of others before their own. Staying away from their family and loved ones. Comforting the concerned and bereaved reassuring the anxious and vulnerable, working to heal and restore people who are ill. Be their guide, their strength, their wisdom and their hope. We pray for those in authority to do right by them, 
for proper protective equipment to be sourced and provided and for their dedication to be met with gratitude and appreciation when they return home exhausted. And we remember two medical workers around the world where resources and protective equipment are always in short supply, not just now. May these extraordinary times lead to deep and necessary changes in how our world works so the nations make a genuine effort to address the profound injustice of life expectancy being determined by geography. Awaken us to the reality of how connected we all are and in the days ahead help us work together to create the community and world that we all want to be part of. So help us God because we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to close our service now in the words of our final hymn, Through the love of God our Saviour, all will be well. And now go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.